Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Wheel Bearings, episode 113. Uh, just two of us this time around. Uh, it's Rebecca and, and myself. I'm Sam Abul Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Linland from Rebecca Drives. Good morning, Rebecca. We're doing a rare uh, morning pro- uh, recording yes. today. Uh, Clutching coffee. Yeah, because Dan, Dan's been uh, Dan's been doing some traveling. He had uh, some family commitment uh, over the weekend and had to uh, travel down south. Um, so why don't we dive right into this? Um, what uh, what have you been driving most recently? So most recently, I was uh, invited to go to uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I don't know if I said that correctly. I think that's the right uh, pronunciation. To, to um, drive the 2020 Hyundai Palisade, their seven-seat SUV. And the great thing is that I also just recently drove the Kia Telluride, so I was able to really kind of compare and contrast those two. So so what is, I mean, aside from the obvious design differences, um, you know, what's, did you find any particular differences between the two? You know, there's probably some minutia differences. I think to the general consumer, they won't necessarily see significant differences. They're both, uh, they they both are, are really handsome vehicles. I think that they are both uh, priced really well. I think they're both a good example of of luxury at a really great price point, maybe higher than what some people are used to with uh, Hyundai or Kia, but still really good. So I'll dive in a little bit on, on the Palisade. It has a, a 3.5 liter engine in it. It has uh, multiple drive modes, which we actually were able to drive off-road in. We did about 25 miles of off-road driving uh, in this vehicle. And while it doesn't have That's a, a lot more a than mud, you usually get on one of these drive programs. It's a lot more. I mean, they were really, you know, and, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, rock climbing or anything like that. It was basically a dirt road that you would take out to your campsite or out to, you know, a, a, 
great, basically a gravel driveway that you may see on ranches in Montana kind of thing or in Idaho. <laughs> and But it was definitely an opportunity to test out some of the torque vectoring that the vehicle has. And one of the things that I really liked about it was that it it has the ability, because of the paddle shifters, you can actually downshift in places that you may want to slow down and not put your brakes on. So things like snow and off-roading. I'm not going to lie. I'm not great at this. Uh, I was driving with Sue Mead, who is a, a Automotive Hall of Fame a member. She has won three Dakar rallies. She's really good at that. <laughs> and so, but and I'm not, it's not to say that the average driver is going to downshift significantly, but it was, it was cool to be able to use the paddle shifters in a, in an, an environment that is relatable to me. You know, I would like, if I'm driving in snow, a lot of times I hate the fact that, you know, all cars are automatics now, it seems, and you can't downshift. And so it was a little tricky. It's an eight speed uh, manual, eight speed automatic. And so it was, it was a little bit tricky for me to figure out exactly how to downshift and where to downshift and when, but I just liked the fact that it was available to me. Um, the, the vehicle comes in three different trim lines. The very base model is still pretty well equipped. It's the SC. It starts at 31550 for the uh, front-wheel drive, and then all-wheel drive adds a little bit of um, – uh, uh, it goes up to 33250 So, you know, I would – always encourage people if their budget allows to bump up to the middle trim line. That has been my philosophy really from my very first car purchase, uh, the SEL. And that, that again, has some really nice features to it. There's a couple of packages that I would encourage people to look at. They add about $4,600 to that price tag. So you start to get up there. You start to, to tip into the nearly $40,000 range, but it adds, you know, a lot of a lot of nice features. It adds LED tail lamps. It adds a larger cluster display. Um, it adds uh, some, what the wireless uh, charging, which is always really convenient. Third row USB outlets, things that, you know, families really like. Uh, and then the premium, impact for 2400 that's going to add an eight-way passenger seat uh, it's going to add the third row seating the power folding and unfolding and reclining and that power is something that's not available in the Kia Telluride so if you are planning on using that third row quite a bit this power feature is something that you can only get in the Palisade um, a funny story we were actually driving with uh, uh, Brian Scott, who is the CEO, COO of Hyundai North America, and Rick Case, who has a string of dealerships across the nation, uh, particularly in the mid and southwest, uh, southeast. And um, he's just lovely, uh, has over 20 dealerships, truly a self-made man, kind of, you know, he, he had one of the first Hyundai dealerships in the country. And so he's a real he, risk taker then. So, well, he <laughs> is a risk taker, actually, and and he he's also owner of Honda Jet Number no. Two, and uh, but he, but the great thing about that is that we didn't get to meet his wife because she was piloting the Honda Jet. So I think they're both a really fascinating couple. But he and Brian are both well over six feet. I would say they're like six two, uh, and they both folded themselves into the back into the third row of 
the Palisade, which, and they, they said, they're like, we're really comfortable back here. They, they had no complaints, which was really fun to see. And little tiny Sue Mead and me are driving <laughs> the front seat. Yeah, I know, I know Sue, she's not much taller than you are. <laughs> no, I think she's five, one and a half and I'm five feet. <laughs> so, so we really, it, it was great, but it was really nice to see a fully, truly usable third row seat. And that's something that it, it the vehicle itself though doesn't compromise on that. I mean, it, when you're driving it, you know, as you said, Sue and I are both really small. And but one of the things that I noticed about both of these vehicles, both the, the Telluride and the Palisade, is that they're just they drive so well, really small for their size. You don't get that feeling of dragging this huge vehicle around. And some people will say, you know, after a year or so, you do start to get you get you start to get used to it. And you start to feel that. And I certainly had that experience when I had a BMW X5. After about a year, I'm like, what are you doing in this vehicle? <laughs> but for a family size vehicle. I think that this the Palisade is just terrific. The 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 top trim line is the limited and that's 44,700. So it's 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 significantly more. It's over $11,000 more than the SEL middle trim line. But you also get absolutely everything. The only option I think on that vehicle is floor mats. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some kind of special floor mat. And, you know, so, that's, that's actually not a bad price, you know, when you compare it's it not. to, like, for example, the Explorer that I just drove. You know, you can get an Explorer Platinum uh, or, you know, even, you know, a tricked out ST, you know, up to, you know, 60000 or above. I think the Platinum, yes. you can, I think it maxes out somewhere around sixty two. Uh, you know, so, you know, for the Palisade, something like the Palisade, which is, you know, really going to be a, a direct competitor, at least to some some trim levels of the Explorer, that's, you know, that's a pretty reasonable price. It, it is. And and I may have misspoke. It's a 3.8 liter. I don't know if I said 3.5. Yeah, it's a 3.8 liter. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it's a 3.8. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right, Sam. And that was one of the discussions that we were having at the event is what a good value this, this vehicle is. And, you know, one of the things I want to get people away from is saying, but 44000 for a Hyundai Yes, 44000 for a Hyundai, because look at what you're getting. And you're getting their 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty. You're getting beautiful fit and finish. The design of it is absolutely lovely. It's a really handsome vehicle, and the interior is absolutely no compromise. And so... You know, I it's it's you know five thousand towing capacity. I mean, there's just a lot of really great things about it, and you're getting a ton of safety features, and and all of this is you know in the in the limited edition for forty four thousand dollars, you're getting all of the standard. There's none of that picking and choosing. There's none of that. Oh, I didn't know I had to check that box. You're getting absolutely everything, and so you know the idea that oh, but I'm not going to pay that for a Hyundai. That is so 1990s. Like I can't even stand it anymore <laughs> yeah I, I i think you know the market has probably largely gotten past that you know especially you know when you compare the prices yeah the prices of a hyundai or, or a kia for that matter have gone up significantly over the years but so have the prices of every other brand and every other brand and the quality but the things that the quality the functionality the packaging has all gone up with it Right. So you're, and, and JD you Power know. just announced their latest uh, initial quality survey results last week. And Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis yes. 
were the top three brands overall. Yes. Yeah. I, I can't remember which order they were in, but I mean, it, it was all, you know, the three, the three brands of the Hyundai Motor Group were the top three way ahead of everything else in the U.S. market. Yeah. And so that alone should tell people that these are not, you know, these are not the Hyundais that you may think of your childhood. And, you know, I had one of the first Hyundai Excels. It was white with maroon interior in college. But I loved that little thing. It it got me through college that my payment was $75 a month. Only one time did I have to ask my dad for help. And that was because I overshopped at Macy's. <laughs> Otherwise, But, you know, it was it was a terrific car. And even that came, even that was, was really well equipped. And so, you know, I just, I think that people really need to start considering Hyundai and Kia if they haven't already, because they're definitely deserving of a look. And with that terrific warranty, you know, you're just, you're, you're covered for, for 10 years or a hundred thousand miles. And so, uh, you know, the price point I think is fantastic on it. Um, and as you say, Sam, it's, it's very, very competitive, if not even much better than some of their, 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 in their competitive set. So let's go back for a moment to what you were talking about, you know, driving off-road. Uh, earlier yes. this year, you and I were both on the Honda Passport drive. And, you know, I've been, yes. when I was on doing, you know, driving the Explorer recently, they had an off-road course, uh, you know, compared to, you know, we drove the Passport in Utah, you know, on a lot of uh, off-road trails. Right. Um, compared to that, you know, the stuff that you drove on with the, with the Palisade, you know, was that as challenging as what we drove the um, the passport on, or less? I would say it was less so. Okay. Uh, and then the Honda also uh, had us on a pilot uh, a pilot event that was specific to show its off road capabilities. I uh, and but this was less so. It, this was more of a gravel. It's almost. It was more like focused on traction than anything. And so, you know, we were at speed for a good portion of it. Uh, as I said, you know, when Sue was driving in particular, she had it going 60, 65, 70 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not go that fast, <laughs> but um, you know, but we we did similar speeds in the Passport, if you remember. Mm-hmm. You know, we we didn't have a lead, so so we didn't we didn't have a guide to to follow like we did in the passport. But so we were all kind of on our own. But I do think that you know the torque vectoring, where you know each of the power goes to an individual wheel, which whichever you have, wherever you have traction, uh, there's a there's a um, a locking rear differential that you can engage. I, I think that there's uh, there's a desire to show that these vehicles are off-road capable, even if they're a crossover, a car-based vehicle. Uh, And, you know, we certainly found that. As I said, I mean, Sue is very comfortable off-road, and so she really banged it out. I felt like I was going what a lot of people would drive in that probably uh, 45 to 50 mile an hour range. And then I I just, there were times when I felt like the back end was a little squirrely on me, but I honestly, I think that was more my driving than the car itself. Uh, There's a lot, you know, it was was a lot of gravel and there was a a lot of hills to it, but it was not an off-road course. It was, it was an off-road road right the, yeah, the, re- yeah, road. the, the, the reason i ask is because uh, you know i'm looking through the the spec sheet um as you're talking and it looks like one of the features that they don't have on the palisade 
uh, is hill descent control, which may be the reason why they were having you do, use the you know use the paddles to downshift you know when you were going down longer grades. Because, uh, you know, what hill descent control does, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with yeah. it. I mean, it, it basically manages the brakes, uh, you know, when you're on a steep grade, you know, there's a pitch sensor in the vehicle. And if you're going down a steep grade uh, and you have hill descent control activated, it will basically manage your speed as you're going down that, that grade. Right, but... They do have downhill brake control. Is that oh, different? They? Okay. Well, maybe uh, that, and <laughs> this is one of the right. problems is <laughs> yes. everybody comes up with their own branding for the same functionality. Exactly. Um, so, so that may, yeah, that so may that's on all thing. wheel drive. Yeah, that's on all wheel drive only. So I, th- so okay. I think they do have something similar, but, but they did not give us an opportunity to really test that. So, and I believe that we did on the, on the pot, on the passport. Right. Yeah, we, we, we did on the passport and, and yes. we did on the Explorer as well. Yeah. So we didn't have an opportunity to test that, but they do have it available. It's it's all wheel drive only. Okay. Which I think is typical. Yeah. And, yeah. And that and that's fine. You know, because really, uh, you know, you're not you're you're not you're less likely to be taking a front wheel drive vehicle into that kind of terrain where you would want to take advantage of something like hill descent control. Right. One of the things that's curious to me. Is uh, is this this idea that uh, these vehicles don't come the, the upper trim line? So the limited isn't available as an eight passenger. They only have those captains chairs, mm-hmm. and but so it's standard. The eight passenger is standard on the base SE. It's optional on the SEL, and then it's not available on the limited. And I don't quite understand that. And, and for as as an example, I had a colleague of mine. Uh, reach out to me and say, Hey, I saw your Palisade review and, but there's no eight passenger on the limited. And, and I love, I love this reasoning because, you know, the dog likes to sit in the middle of the two kids. Yeah. <laughs> so he wants that bench seating. And I just, I don't totally understand that logic of why I, you know, they talk about, Oh, there's personal space in the room in, in the seven seater, but I don't get why that's that 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 concept of you know having the, the the two separated seats in the second row in SUVs you know that's generally seen as a more premium feature as opposed to a bench seat um, yeah and you know but why not have why not at least offer it why not offer it though make it optional yeah uh, well you know it it I think in that case you know it comes down to you know managing how many buildable configurations you're going to have. Sure. And right. you know, certainly Hyundai, you know, like a lot of other, you know, especially, um, you know, the Japanese brands, Hyundai and Kia, you know, like to limit the number of standalone options that they offer. You know, and so they'll and, and American brands and, and others are have been moving in that direction because, you know, the more buildable combinations you have, it adds complexity in the, in the manufacturing plant um, and, and, you know, it adds cost. So if you limit the number of configurations and it it's easier to maintain quality level and make sure you've got you know all the right pieces on on every vehicle coming off the line unlike certain brands who don't really seem to care about that but we won't get into them right now Um, (laughs) but they are all built in california um so uh uh you know I, i think you know they probably looked at you know for the limited you know what what percentage of, you know, and based on their past experience, what percentage of customers do we think 
are going to opt are going to want to opt for a bench seat in the limited, you know, and if they see it's, you know, one or two percent, you know, maybe, you know, a few hundred customers at most, then they'll say, okay, we're we're just not gonna offer that combination because it's not worth it to us. The the extra sure. cost and, and complexity in manufacturing is not worth adding that option. We're not gonna get enough incremental sales from that to justify it. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I mean, I, and I'm all for simplification of manufacturing. It's just, I guess it's just interesting to me that the premium is seen, you know, as more as, as the captain's shares and, you know, and, and I, I kind of get it, but at the same time, you know, like, like my friend right away, he's like, okay, well then I guess I'll just have, I'll get another Acadia. And I was like, wait a minute, the Acadia doesn't have three rows anymore. <laughs> and so we're going back and forth on that. And, you know, earlier we were talking about the differences and, and this may or may not impact people's decisions, but it is important to note that the Hyundai is actually made in South Korea and the Kia is made at West Point, Georgia. So uh, that, you know, could imp- impact if you like to buy vehicles that are made in the U.S., then that could impact your decision on which vehicle you go for. Um, before we started recording, you were also telling me something about a conversation you were having with Mike O'Brien from Hyundai um, about the relationship between Hyundai and Kia. Uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. So this was really interesting. I, you know, so so Kia is owns is wholly owned by Hyundai and has been now for dec for. Actually, they're not wholly owned by Hyundai. I think Hyundai owns like 60% of Kia or something like that. But they're part, but they're considered part of Hyundai Motor Group. They're part of Hyundai, right. They're part of Hyundai Motor Group. I mean, when you go to South Korea, everything is integrated there. And, you know, some of the same people that the designers in particular work on both products, work actually on Genesis as well. And so all three, they work on all three brands and, there's, there's, you don't have this sense of separation like you do in the States. And so it turns out that, and, and again, this was something that Sue and I didn't fully realize was that, um, because of their corporate structure in the States, they're actually two completely separate companies and therefore they are also seen as competitors and, they're not allowed to talk to each other. They can't do any kind of collaboration. They can't compare their vehicles, uh, you know, in, in the design phase. I mean, there's, there's, uh, it's this whole, it's as if they were BMW and Mercedes and there's absolutely no relationship whatsoever to them or Ford and GM. And that was something that we didn't fully realize that, you know, because obviously there's a lot of discussion about what are what are the differences between these two vehicles, how did development happen and such. And so a lot of that discussion is goes on in Korea, but then as soon as it comes to the States, these are two se- two completely separate entities. And they treat each other like two completely separate entities, like competitors. And it's funny because years ago when I used to go and I would uh, I would go and and provide insights and marketing conditions and such to each of these companies out in California, and you know I would say what if I was meeting with Hyundai oh I'm going to see Kia and they wouldn't say anything and then Kia wouldn't say anything about Hyundai not I'm, I'm, that I'm looking for for 
you know, uh, inside information or anything, but it was just funny. It was like, to me, it was kind of like saying to a brother, I'm going to go see your sister. And that was not the case actually at all, that these are two completely separate companies and they have to abide by all the same, uh, rules in terms of, of, uh, corporate governance and, and secrecy and, and, you know, privacy and such. And so if they have friends that work, you know, if Hyundai people have friends that work at Kia or vice versa, they are allowed to socialize, but they're not allowed to talk about work. And so I just thought that was really interesting that how completely, completely separate and how they are really actually seen as direct competitors and have to abide by all the rules and governances that that involve direct competitors. Yeah, and I think part of that is because they the companies that you know we typically think of as Hyundai and Kia here in the U.S. are marketing companies. They are not actually the manufacturers. You know, the the way they're right. the way they're set up, and the, the same thing actually applies to uh, Honda and uh, Toyota as well. I'm, I'm, I think it's less so in the case of Nissan, but. Um, you know, they have a bunch of different units that are technically separate companies that are related. So Hyundai Motor America and Kia Motors of America are the marketing arms. And then there's a separate, there are a couple of separate companies which do manufacturing. There's uh, Hyundai Motor Manufacturing, uh, which is in uh, Alabama or Georgia. There, uh, I forget. Uh, Alabama. Alabama. And then Kia. Yeah, because Kia is in, in Georgia. Georgia. Uh, they have right. their plant there. And then there's another the company, point. which is Hyundai America Technical Center Incorporated, which is here just a few minutes from where I'm sitting here uh, right. in in, uh, in Michigan. Uh, and that's the, the R&D and engineering arm. And they actually do work for all three brands here. <laughs> so they, you know, they do development work and do uh, things like, you know, um, do all the certification testing, you know, handle uh, emissions certification, safety certification. They do a lot of, um, you know, technology development, and they also work with the with the teams back in in Korea. Um, so they they're actually connected to all three: Genesis, Hyundai, and Kia, uh, the marketing arms here in the U.S. So it's it's mm-hmm. this weird kind of relationship. And as I said, Toyota's got similar kind of uh, setup. You know, the Toyota. Uh, there's Toyota Manufacturing. There's Toyota Motor Sales, which is in, in Texas. That's the marketing arm, and and they do the product planning. They figure out what products they're, they're going to sell here, and and you know all the retail side of it, and warranty, and all those things. But then there's the um, you know the uh, the mark the manufacturing business, which is based in Kentucky, and and then um, the R and D, the technical center here in Ann Arbor. Um, which you know, also you know are technically separate companies, and then there's the Toyota Research Institute, which is yet another company which is developing their <laughs> autonomous driving uh, technologies. Weren't we just talking about simplification a second ago? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that, that, that only applies to uh, to, to the manufacturing, you know, what, what build combinations you have, not not necessarily to your corporate structure. But no, it's true. It's 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 much more complicated because I think I. 
Honda R&D is kind of similar, mm-hmm. like they're in a separate building and they're, they're kind of operate on their own as well. But so, so I just thought that was a very interesting, you know, so if you're planning on leveraging, you know, your discussion with, as you go to buy these vehicles with your Hyundai versus Kia dealer, you're not going to get anywhere because they're two completely separate things. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just a, a true competitor for them. Um, but I will say, you know, again, these, these, both these products are are really really good both of them i think are highly highly competitive amongst their their competitive set i uh, you know this it's, it's really more of a preference a styling preference uh you know the i think that the kia telluride is a little bit um probably it's probably a little bit more muscular and almost like in your face kind of kind of feel to it whereas the palisade is maybe a little bit more elegant um but both of them definitely test drive both of them because i think that it's it's strictly a preference thing there wasn't a a significant material difference in in my um in my experience i probably you know, I, I drove the Telluride because I had the Telluride for a week here at home and I drove it down to Jersey, as I said, a couple of podcasts ago and over Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and I just really grew to love the thing. I, I, the Palisade, I'll look forward to having it at home at some point. Um, you know, this was just a one day event with it, but it, but both of them are, are fantastic. Both of them are fantastic. So what were you driving this week? Uh, let's see. Since the last time we recorded, I had the uh, the Mazda 3, the 2019 oh, right. Mazda yes. 3 hatch, all-wheel drive with the premium package, um, which I really like that car. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the way it looks. I love the way it drives. Uh, you know, this year, you know, the, the new 3 is the first production iteration of Mazda's, um, you know, their evolution of their design direction, their Kodo design language. Yes. And, it, you know, in, in the review I wrote, you know, I kind of described it as, you know, if you think of it, you know, over the last couple of generations of Mazda design, you know, starting about a decade ago to where we are today, you know, they, they've, uh, you can think of it, you know, two generations ago as kind of being, you know, the, the rock that falls off of uh, the side of a gorge or a cliff into a river. And then over time, as it tumbles around in the river and the water flows over it, it gets smoothed out. And what we have today is that that smoothed out rock, you know, pebble uh, in the river. That's that's kind of the, the way the design has evolved. So you've gone away from sharply creased metal, you know, to more organic form to it. You know, there's still a lot of contour to it. Uh, and particularly in certain colors, you know, less, I think less so in the, the gray color that I had, but, you know, especially in the red that they offer on there, uh, mm. and some other colors you, and, and obviously depending on the light, it looks very different, but you know, you've got this very organic form to it that looks, you know, very cohesive, uh, you know, all of one piece, you know, and it's, you know, it, it's, I think it really looks fantastic. And we've seen this, this concept evolve, uh, this design idea evolve on on various concepts over the last couple of years, and this this is the first production model, and we'll be seeing it rolling out to the rest of the lineup over the next two or three years, um, as as those models get updated. Um, this year, you know, they have simplified the powertrain lineup. They dropped the two liter engine that was available previously. They have just the two point five liter four cylinder Skyactiv G gas engine. Um, they will be bringing um, 
a plug-in or a plug-in hybrid version, or, or maybe it's just a regular hybrid. I can't remember now. Um, in a year or so, um, eventually we may also get the Skyactiv X engine, which is their um, their uh, compression ignition gas engine, uh, which is sort of a hybrid between a gas and a diesel engine, and and we've talked about in the past. Um, and uh, but this is also the first time that they've offered all-wheel drive on the Mazda three. Uh, in that hatchback, in, that's in, awesome. In the hatchback and in the sedan, it's available in both. Wow, um, that's great. Yeah, and you know, while the, the two point five as it is right now is quite nice, you know, one hundred eighty four horsepower, one hundred eighty four foot pounds of torque, you know, it's it's you know, it, it's more than more than adequate for everybody's daily driving, and you can get it with a manual transmission in the base trim level, um, six speed automatics only, and in, in the the upper trim levels. Um, as is unfortunately all too typical these days, um, with the, uh, with the all wheel drive, it would be really nice if they offered say the 2.5 liter turbo that you can get in the CX five or the hint, 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 yeah. hint. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that eventually appeared. Uh, but you know, even as it is now, it's, you know, it's, it's a really nice combination. You know, the, the work they've done on, you know, the ride and handling, uh, you know, it does a great job of body control, you know, but it also, you know, absorbs, you know, typical Michigan roads without any problem at all. Um, the steering feels great as it, as it always does on Mazdas. Uh, the, the only, you know, um, when we talked last week about, um, you know, the, um, the touch, you know, lack of a touchscreen in there, uh, you know, and Mazda's decision, you know, to issue touchscreens in their cars and go with the central controller. And I think the system in this in this car works really, really well, you know, regardless of whether you're using the the standard the stock Mazda interface or Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Um, you know, you can navigate around very quickly with the knob, uh, either twisting it or giving it a, a push, in, you know, you know, in any of four directions and then push down to select. Uh, I think I think, it, you know, and it's right there, right by your hand. You know, when you drop your hand off the steering wheel, it's right behind the shifter. Very easy to access. Um, and you can you can get around uh, the interface very quickly with it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like most of these uh, controller setups, you know, it's got four push buttons around it, you know, for shortcuts, uh, you know, just like on a BMW. So you have, um, you know, your home navigation, media and um, back buttons around there. And right. on in most cases, you know, like, you know, on a BMW, for example, even if you're using CarPlay, you know, if you press one of those, it will take you to the corresponding page, you know, like the navigation, you know, it'll take you to the BMW navigation page in the system. Right. However, on the Mazda, I like this, you know, they, they, when you use one of the smartphone projection systems, it remaps those so that if I'm using Android Auto and I hit the, hit the, um, the nav button, it takes me to Google Maps. Or if I hit the, if I hit the, uh, the media button, it takes me to the, the media player page in the Android Auto interface. And it's only, oh, that's it's nice. only if I disconnect the phone and use, and I'm using the standard interface, then it'll take me. Uh, you know, to the corresponding Mazda pages. So I think that's a that's a really nice touch. Um, right. You know, and I think, you know, overall, the, the interior, I think, is really beautifully executed. I mean, you know, Mazda has been doing a great job on their interiors for a long time. And, you know, they've widely been considered to have the best interiors, you know, over the past decade for mainstream models. Um, you know, and this one, you know, takes it even further. You know, it's a very clean 
uh, dashboard design. You know, a lot of people like to talk about how clean and uncluttered, you know, the, the Tesla Model 3 is, you know, but it's got that giant touchscreen in the middle of it, but no other buttons. You know, this one has, you know, very minimal buttons. You know, you've got the, the screen up on top of the dash, you know, that is away. It's not a touchscreen, so it's not within your reach, you know, but it's close to your, your closer to your line of sight when you're driving. And then below that, you know, in the front of the dash, there's a, a smaller display for, you know, the climate control and just a, a small cluster of buttons there to manage your climate control. Um, and that's it, you know, and then, you know, you, you have some vents on either side of the instrument cluster and a couple on the passenger side, you know, in that center row of the dash. And it's a very clean design. Uh, it's not cluttered with a lot of a lot of excess stuff. And I think it works really well. Um, the yeah, the, the one I'm looking at the I'm sorry, I'm looking at the steering wheel. The steering wheel looks like it has a lot of buttons on it, though. There, um, there's there's four rockers on there. Um, okay. You know, yep. For, I see those, but then there's, are there six, are there three buttons below each of those? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, okay. Maybe that's just a design. That, well, it looks like there's icons on some of them, but I agree with you. I mean, the, the, the interior itself, it's, it's not only is it beautiful. I love the shape and form. I, uh, it does look like, um, it looks very, very clean. I just feel like the steering wheel seems to be a little, a little busy, but at the same time, if it's intuitive, then I think that's great because then you, you get to keep your hands on the wheel as long you know, just taking that that time to learn all of those different tricks and, and where everything is. But I agree, it looks really, really nice and clean. It's a beautiful interior. Yeah, I mean, the, the I'm, I'm looking at the steering wheel right now, you know, so you have four rockers, you know, yeah. um, you know, for volume forward and back. Um, to and flip then for through the cruise fl- settings. Yeah, cruise and, and uh, flipping through the pages in the instrument cluster. And then below that, you know, there's a, a button to answer the phone, um, you know, a button for voice control. Um, I, okay, so they're know. all very intuitive. Yeah, then. it's it's you, yeah. you learn it very quickly. So right. it's it's not, you know, and compared to some steering wheels, you know, it's not it's not bad at all. You know, and it's you know, it's all concentrated on those two spokes. Uh, very easy to use. So, you know, the the only kind of complaint I have is because of the design, you know, it does have a high belt line. You know, the glass area, especially the side glass, has been kind of minimized and the the C-pillars are on the thick side. Visibility to the back is actually surprisingly good. Um, You know, you're you're more constrained by, you know, the seats and the the roof line than than the actual uh, sheet metal of the car. but uh, certainly you do feel like you're sitting kind of low down. Yeah, you know, And this is, a, this is a problem that's typical to a lot of modern vehicles, you know, having that high belt line. Um, and it's more, more of an issue, I think, in the back seats. The back seats right. are roomy, but, you know, you, you do feel kind of closed in because the, wind, the glass area is smaller than before. The glass area is is dramatically smaller. I mean, it's it's a beautiful vehicle. The proportions of it for a front wheel drive vehicle, the proportions are really nice on it. It has such a long, nice uh, hood, and and you know, very the wheels look like they're pretty you know stretched to the mm-hmm. corners. And I mean, there's a lot. It's it's really beautiful. But you're right. The there's not a lot of glass in there at all. But you know, the it's interesting because the visibility. One of the things that I was I wish the both the Hyundai and the Kia had was that 
the mirror that turns into a camera mm-hmm. that like on, on yeah. a lot of other products now, because the visit that just greatly improves your visibility than if you've got a, a low slung, you know, look like, like the Mazda three does, but it's a, it's a really, really nice vehicle though. I mean, it's, it looks beautiful. Yeah. And you know, we, we talked before, especially when, when each of us drove the CX five, you know, we were talking mm-hmm. about the, the value proposition and, you know, in retrospect now, you know, some of the other stuff I've driven, um, you know, we, I think we talked about the, um, the price of the CX-5 seeming kind of high. Um, you know, this this one, you know, the Maz, the 3 starts, you know, at just under 22000 delivered for, you know, base front-wheel drive manual transmission model. Um, and the one I drove with the all-wheel drive and the premium package came in at, at just over thirty one delivered, which you know, for a compact car, you know, may seem a little high, but it's it's actually a pretty good value. And you know, again, if you think of it in terms of you know, Mazda is trying to move into a more premium segment, they're still offering a very you know very competitively priced vehicle. You know, in the the entry and the the mid trim levels, and then you know, if you compare it to you know what would be the premium competitors like a, an Audi A3 or a Mercedes A class. You know, at thirty-one thousand for a loaded model, you know that's less than the starting point for those German uh, vehicles, and I th- right. I think it's you know as uh, certainly in terms of its design and execution and everything and its driving dynamics, I think it's as good or better than any of those that I've driven. So you know, I I think that you know they may have they may have really hit the sweet spot with this one. And I think, you know, if we see more like this going forward, I I think Mazda is going to be in a good place. No, I hope so, too. I'll be interested. uh, My former colleague, Eric Ibarra at Kelly Blue Book, he's responsible for residual values. And so it'd be interesting to see if they've increased the residual values of some of these Mazdas to reflect that, because obviously a Mercedes or an Audi is going to have retain their value better because luxury cars tend to retain their value pretty well. So it'd be interesting to see uh, from an ownership standpoint, if that price point holds up, you know, and, and one thing I do have to point out because I am a fan of manual is if you only need a front wheel drive and you don't need the all wheel drive, you can get the manual in the premium package. <laughs> oh, okay. I missed that. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that was, so was, again, just kind of playing around. I'm like, what can I get? And um, so if you, it's in the all wheel drive that okay. the manual isn't available across the board. Um, actually, I don't think it's available in anything in all wheel drive, which again is disappointing because as we talked about earlier, the great thing about having a manual in snow and mud and such is that you can downshift and not have to touch your brakes and, you know, keep your traction. But anyway, so it's another discussion. But no, I think I'm glad to see that Mazda, you know, I think that they're they're definitely trying to justify their increased prices by giving you a more luxurious experience inside and out. And um, this design language, I did read some things on online that people, some people weren't a fan of, but that's always going to be the case. You're always going to alienate some people and you're going to draw others in. So I, I think it's a beautiful design package though. Yeah, totally. Um, so let's move on. Um, after I, I, uh, sent back the uh, the Mazda, I briefly had uh, the new Toyota RAV4. Um, oh, cool. And, you know, it, it went back prematurely um, because <laughs> I was I was having a little uh, technical issue with it. Uh, when I connected my phone, which is a Google Pixel 3 XL, 
uh, to Bluetooth, uh, which I had to do because uh, Toyota does not yet support Android Auto, and uh, and all, I think I think the Avalon is the only one that has it yet. Um, nothing else that Toyota builds has it yet, um, but the, the new Highlander should this fall. But the Rav Four does not have support for Android Auto. And so I had to just use uh, standard Bluetooth to listen to my podcast. And um, when I connected it, um, after about 30 seconds, the screen went blank. Audio stopped. It waited about 10 seconds or so, five or 10 seconds. And then it all restarted again and, you know, reconnected the phone and started playing. And, and then 30, 35 seconds later, it did the same thing again. And then repeated that process over and over again, and it never, <laughs> never went back to functioning normally um, until I disconnected the phone from Bluetooth. And I tried it with a different phone; and it worked okay. But you know, this is, and I've I've never had this problem. You know, I've used this phone with a lot of different cars and never had this issue before. Yeah. And I let Toyota know about it, and you know, so they came and and got the car, and they're getting it checked out, trying to understand what's going on. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the RAV4, you know, I was just mentioning, you know, we were talking about the price of the, the CX-5, you know, this RAV4 was the RAV4 Adventure, which is sort of the off-road, uh, package, um, you know, for the, the RAV4, um, you know, it, this one was just shy of $40,000, you know, and to be honest, you know, I would much sooner pay 40 grand for the CX-5 than I, than I would for this one. But, you know, and in part, that's, you know, personal taste. You know, I like this, the way the CX-5 looks and drives better than this. Although the, you know, driving driving the RAV4, you know, this new RAV4, you know, the the chassis, the suspension control was vastly superior to prior generations of this vehicle. You know, it, uh, you know it's, again, like most other new Toyotas, it's built on a variation of the, the TNGA platform which, you know, has a great combination of, of, um, you know, ride quality and handling, you know, the, you know, driving down bumpy roads, you know, the body stayed nice and steady, you know, it did a good job of soaking up, but it never felt floaty or anything. Mm. Uh, didn't bounce, wasn't bouncing around. Um, you know, I, I'm not particularly crazy about the design. My wife actually hated the design, <laughs> Uh, and particularly hated the color of this one, which was this sort of pa- very pale gray green um, co- hmm. color. Uh, you know, I-, I was fine with the color. You know, the design is is fine. You know, I mean, design is always a matter of personal taste. Right. It wasn't yeah. to my personal taste. You know, it's a little chunkier and blockier than previous generations of the Rav Four. Um, so if you're looking for something like that, it, you know, like it, it it works in that respect. The seats are comfortable, um, but I'll I'll be getting back into a Rav Four again sometime later this summer. Um, hopefully, by which time they will have sorted out whatever the issue was. Um, but uh, just wanted to you know kind of dive into that a little bit. You know, the, some of the issues around technology, and you also had some technology issues with a with a Toyota vehicle this week as well. I, right. I have I have the Lexus RC three fifty F Sport. Uh they've actually they they gave me the wrong uh information on it. So I'm I don't know exactly which trim I have uh quite yet. I've I've only just received it, but I I I had a terrible time trying to connect my phone. I have an Android device, as you say, it doesn't support it. And 
I got in the car fully expecting to just be able to pair my phone and I could not find where to pair my phone because as my nephew discovered for me, pro tip, it's not under phone, (laughs) it's under Bluetooth. It's under Bluetooth. And I get that. And he's like, well, that makes sense. I'm like, not if you offer a a phone as one of the menu options. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Yeah, and the the same is true of the RAV4. It's it's a similar setup there. You know, granted, I was jet lagged. It was after a long day. You know, there's a lot of other things going on. And so when I sat in the car, you know, I think it was was only about 8 o'clock at night, but I'd already been up for 14 hours. And I'm just staring at it thinking the only option it gave me under phone was iPhone. And I took pictures. I sent, I sent, you know, I sent pictures to you to be like, what am I missing here? And so then the next day he went out, Jake went out and um, connected it for me. And he said, well, it was under Bluetooth. And I'm looking at him like, of course it was. (laughs) But, but one of the things that, that really just struck me through all of this was this idea that, you know, they're putting out technology that only applies to a portion of the market. And by some estimates, the U.S. market is 48% Android, 52% Apple, or about there, you know, and then the Googles and that that are, you know, kind of the, the rounding number there. Um, but globally, Android is much more popular than Apple. But regardless of that, you're in the States. Here I am with an Android device. And basically, Lexus and Toyota is saying, oh, sorry, you know, we'll get to you when we get some time. And it's just, it's frustrating because you're, you know, the, 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 there's so much competition for buyers as the market starts to slow down. And we're putting out products that really only satisfy a small portion of the market or half, half of the market, I should say. So I just found it to be really frustrating. And then it sounds like with your phone, you know, with the Google, the pixel phone, I, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where you look at and think we're alienating half of the market from the very beginning. And I just, I think that that's something that as an industry, we need to take this technology seriously. We need to understand that this is something that changes people's minds about whether they're going to purchase your vehicle or not. And that's pretty significant to me. Yeah. And, you know, in, in Toyota's defense, you know, I think when you saw iPhone there, what that actually was, uh, was some, you know, whoever, someone who had that vehicle previously, because, you know, we swapped these vehicles around among, among journalists. Right. You know, somebody had connected an iPhone via Bluetooth. And so that was right. somebody else's settings. And and this is actually, you know, something that people should consider, you know, like if you're renting a car, um, you know, or you're getting a, a service loaner or something like that. Uh, you know, if you connect, you know, nothing wrong with connecting your phone via Bluetooth. However, when you turn the vehicle back in before you turn it in, make sure that you actually go through and clear the settings for your phone, you know, delete your phone, delete yeah. any messages, because, you know, usually when you connect your phone via Bluetooth, you know, it'll also your phone will prompt you, you know, do you want to download your contacts? Do you want to download your messages? You know, so that, the you know, when you use the voice controls, it can find the stuff more more quickly and it can read your messages out to you while you're driving, things like that. Um, if you're, you know, sharing, you know, if you've got a vehicle that you're uh, renting or or borrowing, um, you know, 
you don't you probably don't want to leave all your personal data in there. Uh, so make sure you go through and, you know, delete all that stuff, delete your phone settings, delete your, all your contacts, you know, any messages that might be on there. And, you know, it's, it's worth it to spend a, a couple of minutes to do that, you know, so that whoever has that vehicle next, um, you know, doesn't have your, your, uh, address book and, and your, all your SMS messages in there and in, in the car. Um, you know, so, but, you know, because of the way the, uh, that Lexus interface is set up, you know, it made it more confusing. So it made it seem like, you know, an, uh, hooking up an iPhone was the only option when in fact that was actually the remnants of another user's iPhone uh, settings right. being there. Uh, well, well, and you know, I know these guys are super busy, but I will say that it would be nice if the car is delivered with like factory default with nothing connected, you know, kind of like how you're going to get it at the dealership as a new car, everything's deleted out and you're kind of starting fresh because it was, it was just, it really put, it was so frustrating for me, especially because I had been traveling all day. I needed to make some important phone calls and I couldn't do it. I, could, I certainly couldn't do it safely, you know, and, and, but, and, and I'll talk about this car more completely um, next week, but you know, as I'm, as I'm driving it, it's been fine, but that was just a really, you know, the initial frustration for me. Uh, the other thing it does is that I get text messages, but I have no way of reading them. So it lets me know that I've gotten a new text message. And then all of a sudden the pressure uh, is there to, you know, so I end up, I actually ended up pulling over the other day to, again, there's, you know, things that are important things that are going on that I need to read these fairly promptly. So I end up pulling over, sitting on the side of the road and reading through these. So I just, I haven't had an intuitive, I, I think this is the main thing is it has not been intuitive for me to, to be in this, in this vehicle. So, you know, it's one of those things that it, it's something that we're, as an industry, we continue to develop, but I, something that I heard on the Palisade Drive as well is that uh, in I think it's in next year the forecast is that Gen X will actually be the majority of new car buyers for the first time um, bumping out the baby boomers and it's not millennials that will be the majority it's actually Gen X and you know I I mean I kind of joke around if you need technology broken I am your girl. <laughs> But it also, but I also, you know, feel like I'm a fairly early adopter on a lot of things and I want the latest things, but I also need it to be quite intuitive. And, you know, and again, having a setting of phone and that's not where you connect your phone just pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, this, this is, this is an issue that, you know, most manufacturers, um, have a problem with is, you know, the user experience design. Uh, you know, you can, you can put the functions in there, but it has to be d done, implemented in a way that it's easy for people to find and understand, hopefully without looking through the manual. You know, and, you know, I always try, you know, the first thing I, you know, when I get into a new vehicle is I try to do all this stuff without looking at the manual and, and, for the most part, I managed to succeed, but you know, I, I also know that, you know, I have you know more technical experience than a lot of people, um, and I kind of see things in a little bit different way from probably from most people. But um, you know, if if you 
you know, if you have to go, you know, call up somebody, you know, call up a geek to, uh, <laughs> to find out how to pair your phone, you know, you've, you've done it wrong. Or send a Slack message to your, or send a Slack message to your podcast. Yeah, members. exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, some manufacturers have, have, uh, really started doing this right. Um, you know, Honda and Mercedes, for example, um, you know, and I think some other manufacturers have started embedding a little uh, NFC tag in the dashboard of the car so that, you know, you don't have to go searching through the menu. You know, if you've got a phone that's got NFC in it, you just, uh, you know, and if you're using, you know, Apple, Apple Pay or Google Pay on your phone, you've got NFC. You just tap your phone on that little NFC logo on the dashboard and it will automatically pair your phone to Bluetooth. Uh, you know, it, yes, it, and it, that's go, amazing. it goes directly in there. It'll prompt pop up and say, do you want to pair this phone? You hit yes. Boom. You're done. And, uh, yeah. you know, also, you know, if you're using Android auto, um, you know, it will also do the same thing as soon as you plug in your phone. Uh, you know, if Android auto is enabled in that car, it will pop up and say, you know, just ask you to confirm it, that you want to pair this phone, you know, with Android auto to the car. And you don't ha and it does all the Bluetooth setup and everything else. You don't have to deal with all of that. Um, so that that makes it a lot easier. Um, and, it does. And speaking of, you know, confusion um, with, um, you know, with with these functions, um, IHS, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, uh, just released a, a study. Uh, they did a survey of consumers and, uh, you know, they they found that for uh, driver assist systems, they're, you know, a large proportion of the population does not understand the limits of driver, especially, you know, level two driver assist systems like autopilot and super cruise and Volvo mm -hmm. pilot assist and, and these various other systems, you know. And again, you know, part of this, I think, uh, you know, we I think we referenced it earlier, you know, when we were talking about hill descent control is the branding you know every manufacturer has their own branding for these functions and and you know some of them you know uh, by the name like autopilot tesla autopilot for example imply certain capabilities you know you know because you know most people are not pilots you know they have they've never actually used an autopilot feature in an aircraft and, you know, when you hear the name autopilot, I mean, what does that imply to you? Right. Well, because we've all seen, you know, that pilots just that's when they get the opportunity to take a break and the, and the, the, the plane is flying itself and sort you can of. go to the bathroom. Like that's when the pilot. <laughs> that, that's my impression of it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it implies that that you don't have to that you are not a hundred percent engaged with the vehicle. Right. And, and, you know, for aircraft, you know, uh, com especially commercial aircraft using autopilot, you know, autopilot is not an autonomous flying system. It's not something where you put in a destination and hit go and it just automatically flies you there. Basically what autopilot is, is basically cruise control. It keeps the plane going at the same altitude and same heading and the same speed you know, that you set it at, you know, so if you're heading west at, you know, 500 miles an hour at 35,000 feet, that's where it's going to keep you. That's, that's all autopilot does on most aircraft. Um, you know, it's, it's not trying to evade other traffic, you know, when, when, you know, radar picks up something, you know, that, that may be in your, in your way, you know, it's going to alert the pilot and the pilot has to take over and, and fly around that and make any corrections or changes in course. Right. You know, 
And, you know, in, in fact, you know, the autopilot capability that, you know, Tesla has in their vehicles is in some ways, you know, more advanced than what actual autopilot systems in aircraft does. And similarly with, uh, with GM Super Cruise and these other systems. But, you know, they all have limitations. And unfortunately, I think manufacturers don't do a very good job of really, you know, they're, they're so intent on trying to sell the technology that they don't really do a very good job of explaining what it can't do, but more importantly, what it cannot do. And that's where you start to get into trouble, you know, and seeing you see videos online of people sleeping in their Teslas while they're on autopilot. And, you know, it's it's not you know, it may be fine in in certain situations, you know, they might be able to handle that. But, you know, there's a lot of scenarios, you know, most scenarios that it cannot handle. And, um, you know, the same applies to all these other systems and manufacturers, you know, just as with their infotainment systems, they need to do a better job when you buy a car of educating the consumer of, you know, how to use these systems, what they can do, what they can't do. And, and, you know, making sure that you understand all that stuff before you drive off the lot. Right. Well, and also just, you know, I, I did an interview recently uh, talking about how to do a test drive, you know, and 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 then I actually went with my sister who bought a, a new to her car. Uh, basically, it will eventually be her husband's station car, but we she bought a 2015 Jeep Grand Cherokee and you know, test driving, we, we drove a, a couple of different brand new cars also, so she could get a feel for some of this technology and what it does. And, you know, I, I have to encourage people to, when you're on these test drives uh, in, in this new modern world, that you've got to try out these systems and don't just go the route that the dealer suggests, you know, you're, you're, generally in your home, in your, your neighborhood, or at least, you know, local to, and, and try out different roads and try these things. What does it feel like to have a uh, lane keep assist kick in? And, you know, what does it feel like to have the lane, lane departure warning, whether it's a haptic feedback and your seat starts vibrating or all the buttons or the, 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 you know, sound starts going off and there's a lot of beeping going on in your car, whatever that may be, try out those kinds of things, try them out, try out the blind spot monitoring. What does that look like? How, you know, is there a sound that goes with it or is it just is it just passive and just the lights go on in the mirrors but all those sorts of things have to be accounted for in a test drive the other interesting thing and and i will say that my sister's husband is um he's he's very frugal with his money which is means they're going to have a fantastic retirement but he didn't value a lot of those technologies and now granted again he's basically going to go from his house to the train station and back but the times that they do have it on the on the highway or on some of these roads, he just didn't see the value in it. He didn't understand why why you would want to pay for that. And so I think it's also it's important and incumbent upon both the dealers and the manufacturers to talk to the consumer and explain why these things are valuable. Explain how these things, you know, yes, you're paying more for them, but the reason that you're paying for them and the safety part of it, um, a lot of it too is interesting because it implies like some of the especially like lane keep assist it it implies that you somehow are not able to stay in your lane which implies that you're a bad driver. <laughs> so there was some discussion also about this isn't about your driving skills 
this is about the reality of our world today where you can be distracted. Uh, however diligent you are with your phone, it can be a distraction. And and when we talk about interacting with with technology, you know, you hate touchscreens. I love touchscreens. You know, the, the knobs, the, the, again, like how we each interact with that, the difference between how my, my nephew who loved the Lexus interface and I came away not loving it, all those things come into play when we're driving and when we're we're interacting with our vehicle. It's just not as simple as it used to be anymore. And we've got to start to get used to that, especially you know if you're coming out of a 10-year-old car and you haven't seen these things at all. They're all right. new. And, you know, when, when we talk about distractions, you know, it's not just about, you know, messing around with your phone or something like, you know, or texting, things like that while you're driving. You know, there's all kinds of distractions that you can have. If you've got kids in the car, <laughs> you're going to have distractions, you know, unless they're they're fast yes. asleep in the back seat. Um, that's that's just the way it is. And, you know, uh, you know, if you hear a siren, you know, for a you know, police car, or an ambulance or a fire truck, you know, you're going to be looking around trying to fi- figure out where it's coming from. You know, that's a distraction that could also yes. lead to the same kind of accident, you know, that you might have, you know, if you're texting. Um, and, you know, there, there's, you know, other things that, you know, there's all kinds of things that happen on the road. You know, ball, you know, roll, a kid's ball rolls out in front of you. Cyclist, you know, suddenly veers in front of you. You know, there's, there's lots of things. So you do need to pay attention. You need to understand the technology that's in there and understand what you can rely on and, and what you should not rely on. Um, you know, exactly. So. You know, it was, I, that ball rolling is a real thing. I mean, I had that experience actually, I was test driving a Mercedes, um, E-class AMG in over in Germany and, and a ball came running out and I slammed on my brakes and the guy's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, and a second later, a little kid came running out into the street. He's like, how did you know that was going to happen? I was like, because behind a rolling ball comes a running child. And, you know, and these are the kinds of things that you're that by if you if you are not paying attention, as you say, Sam, if you're distracted by, uh, you know, by your kids, by a pet, you know, and whatever it may be, there's all sorts of things that are going on in the vehicle that can pull you away. And so these systems are really just designed, you know, we have them now, take advantage of them, learn how to use them, learn how you interact with them. And, um, and I can't stress enough, you know, on, on the Hyundai Palisade, they do offer Hyundai Sense, uh, you know, the, the driving safety features that comes standard. You do have to upgrade a bit, uh, to get all of the full packaging, but I, I just encourage people as you look for new vehicles to check those boxes on the safety part of it first. Absolutely. All right. So let's hit one more thing that just came up last night as we're recording this morning. And that's uh, the new BMW had an event in in Munich uh, where they unveiled the Vision M Next, um, which is a a concept uh, mid-engine supercar. Uh, What do you think of this one? So, you know, I, I like this. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I've driven the I8 ever. I just had the I3, which we went into in great and gory detail and I'll leave that behind. But what, what I want to see from this vehicle and certainly from the design of it, it looks like it. I want BMW to come out with the ultimate driving machine that just so happens to be 
electric. This is a hybrid. And so it's a plug-in hybrid. It's got a turbo four, four cylinder engine that's, that's gas powered, probably diesel in some, in some other parts. I don't know, but right now they just reference the gas, yeah, I think it'll the pro- gasoline uh, engine. I'm guessing there will never be a diesel in this one. It'll probably be the, gas. Only. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of old school. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a gasoline engine. Um, you know, so it's not fully electric. Uh, it says it has a combined output of 600 horsepower, zero to zero to 62 in three seconds. It goes 186 miles an hour. You know, I want them to make this vehicle so that it is still the ultimate driving machine. So this one has 62 miles of electric only on a full charge. The i8 only has 18. Uh, and that certainly is very appealing. But again, we're getting into this sort of weird, like, will consumers see the value in a hybrid in this plug-in hybrid where you're plugging it in and you're getting 62 miles of range. What does that really do for people um, in their minds? You know, I think that we all know you can go to and from work for the most part, you know, even a couple of times uh, in the week without having to charge it and do it on electric. But I, you know, I think it's a beautiful, it's super cool looking, um, but I liked the i8. I thought that was really cool looking too. And so I don't know. I, I, it'll be interesting to see what this technology, uh, how appealing this is for people. But I'm glad that it's it, it looks really cool. Um, it is is all about the M, you know, the M, and, and it will maintain that M feel to it. But um, we'll have to see how how it performs in the market. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're we're probably not going to see this one, you know, in production form until about 2022 or 23. Um, yeah, one of the the things that was talked about at this event last night is that BMW is going to start next year uh, deploying a, a technology um, that geofences the uh, the electric operation. So you know, with a plug-in hybrid like this, you know, one of the advantages to it is you don't have the the range um, you know and charging limitations of a full battery electric vehicle, and but. Um, you know, you also, you know, you have the ability to run on electricity only and especially in Europe and, and some other places where, you know, we're starting to see cities, you know, talking about banning internal combustion engine vehicles from city centers. You know, one of the one of the advantages to, you know, a plug in hybrid like this is, you know, if you know you're going into a city center, you can. You know, you can put it program in the destination into the the nav, or you know, tell the vehicle where you're going, and it can actually conserve the charge in the battery until you get into that city center area, and then switch over to running on battery only. So, uh, you know, on the highway, you could be driving, you know, in a hybrid mode um, with both the engine and electric motors operating. And as you approach the, the city center, it will automa- it can automatically switch, you know, when it gets into the, the zone that's supposed to be electric only, it can automatically switch to that. And in some places, like, for example, London, uh, you know, where they have a, a congestion charge um, and mm-hmm. they, they have had for many years, uh, you know, if you're operating in electric mode, electric only mode, electric vehicles are not, uh, zero emission vehicles are not subject to the congestion charge. So you get the, the congestion charges waived for those vehicles. So, you know, as you enter the congestion zone in London, it can automatically switch over to electric power and shut off the engine. And, um, you know, that, that makes it a lot easier. And I think this is one of the things that manufacturers yeah. are looking to do is, 
you know, because like with a lot of other technologies, you know, I think average consumers, you know, haven't really been educated very well. They, you know, and, and, you know, frankly, you know, most people don't have, most people aren't like me. They don't have the time to learn about all the technologies and what they do and how they work. And, and, <laughs> and frankly, don't care. They just want it. They just want it to work. You know, they, they don't care right. about all those niggling little details like I do. So, right. <laughs> you know, to have something like that in there that knows where the vehicle is, knows where the, the zero emission zone is and automatically switches over when you get there without you having to go in and switch modes all the time, I think is, is a really good thing. It will make it a lot more useful to people to uh, to have that kind of capability. Right. No, I think that's fantastic. And and it's another good example of where we're getting vehicles that interact better with the world around them, you know, and, and, and they're smart. I mean, they're smart, literally, like they, you know, they know where they are and what the condition is, and they can automatically adapt to it. And those congestion chargers are becoming more and more popular. I, you know, there's discussions here in New York about having one, about having those kinds of zones. Now, it doesn't really solve the problem of just how many people are on the road because, you know, I was talking recently to some people about the HOV lane out in California and where there's no, there's no, um, plan for like grandfathering out vehicles. And now they're just as crowded as any other lane. But as you say, those congestion charges, if you can then switch it over and be able to to still use your vehicle in these locations in in a way that's largely transparent to you, then that I think is a is a huge benefit. And it keeps not only it keeps the congestion charges, but it does keep a cleaner a cleaner world around us too, and be able to to utilize that. So, um, you know, I know it's a few years away, but I do think that these are this is a really really cool technology, and that's a really really nice advancement that they've made in terms of making this vehicle uh, more usable and user friendly on a day to day basis. Yeah, and I think you know from a design standpoint, as you alluded to earlier. Um, you know, this, this one goes a little bit different direction from the, the I-8, which, uh, I have been lucky enough to drive, you know, like, like it's, it's a fantastic vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, this one, you know, from a design perspective actually kind of veers back more towards the original M1 of 1978. <laughs> um, you <laughs> know, it. it's a little bit less, uh, spaceship than the I-8 and a little bit more of the M1. Um, which I think, you know, I think overall works really well. You know, it's got, got some interesting details on it, like the coloring, you know, these blocks of color on the body, you know, various panels. Yeah. Um, right. And, you know, I don't know if that'll make it to production, but it's, you know, from, for a concept, it's certainly interesting. Well, and the other thing, too, is that this is very driver focused. This is a very driver focused vehicle as opposed to the M Next, which uh, I saw uh, back in in. I don't know. That when was, was that? Like September, I think. Last summer, last yeah. sep- September, uh, they they had it here at JFK, and we got to experiencing it. That is more of a pod feel, where uh, even the fabric you could interact with the fabric. So you press the fabric, and like a and lights show up, or a screen will show up. Like the fabric is interactive as well, and that was more about that level five pod sort of feel to it. This is much more driver centric, which is kind of cool to have those two, uh, those two contrasts in experience, because 
if you think about if this vehicle, as you say, it can interact with the congestion zone, then this is about getting somebody into work or getting you into the city. Uh, the the M next is was more about uh, about the whole car experience and having everybody have uh, an experience within the cabin. So I like their philosophy. I like that they're coming out at it with uh, multiple angles. And it's really what you expect to see from some of these manufacturers, something that's really forward thinking, but still in line with their overall corporate philosophy. Yeah. One of one of the, uh, the interesting design details in the interior of this vehicle is the uh, the instrument cluster, or the boost pod, as they call it, um, which you know, is not a traditional instrument cluster at all. But uh, you know, behind the the rectangular <coughs> steering wheel, there's actually a couple of transparent panels. You know, the transparent LCD panels, and depending on the mode you're on, you know, the the instruments and whatever information you're you're providing the driver appears on these transparent panels that you can see directly through, you know, that sit above and behind the steering wheel. Um, you know, and if you've ever watched, um, the show, uh, the sci-fi show, um, the expanse, you know, the, this is a show that's set, you know, about 300 years in the future. You know, the, the phones that they use in there are similar design, you know, they're, they're transparent. They're, they look like a, a just a sheet of glass, um, with a strip Crazy. at the bottom where a battery would be, yeah, you know, and you know when it's off, you know it just looks like a clear piece of glass that you can just look right through. And then when it turns on, you know you see the display on there. Um, you know, so instead of being you know the display on a black background, it's it's trans it's a transparent background, and that's what they've done for the instrument cluster in this thing, and it's it's quite quite interesting to look at. That is really cool, and of course, there's also the gy- gyroscopic cup holder. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, you, you absolutely need that. We can't in a forget car. about You're that. You're be driving swiftly. <laughs> You want, exactly. you want you want to keep your coffee level or, or actually yes, you want, you want it to time. lean into the curve so that it's not <laughs> spilling over. Right. It's like, I don't, I don't so, know if you've yes. ever seen the uh, uh, there's a, a film of um, I think his name was Tex Johnson. He was a Boeing test pilot in the 1950s. Uh, te- you know, he, he was doing a demonstration flight or, or maybe it was Bob Hoover. It's Bob. It's Bob Hoover. Uh, yeah, he, he was a. Oh, I, I like the Tex Johnson name yeah. better. Bob, Bob, <laughs> For Bob a test Hoover, pilot, you know, was a World War II pilot, and and he uh, did aerobatics, you know, up and you know for for decades up until his his uh, death a few years ago. Um, there's a video of him flying a Beechcraft, and he's doing a barrel roll in this thing. Uh, and as he's doing a barrel roll, he picks up a pitcher of iced tea and he's pouring iced tea into the cup. <laughs> And he's he's doing it at he's doing the barrel roll at just the right rate so that he basically he was maintaining exactly one G. So even though the the plane was rolling over, he was able to pour the iced tea into the glass from a pitcher. That's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's that's what uh, that's what this gyroscopic <laughs> cup holder is doing essentially is leading into the curve to so your stuff doesn't oh, spill. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. Hey, I have to just say one one thing. Speaking of um, of great 
test drivers. Uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to see the movie Hurley, I, I watched it on my flight back from, from California on Delta. Uh, it's really good. It's about Hurley Haywood, uh, who is a longtime uh, professional race car driver for Porsche. And um, have you driven with him before? I've never driven with him or, or met Ugh. Mr. Haywood, but I did, I, did, I did buy the movie and download it. I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Yeah, so he actually was one of the first. I got the chance to to have him as my instructor on multiple Porsche events, and um, and I think he liked the fact that first of all, I was usually the only female, and he liked the fact that I actually listened to him <laughs> in instructions. Uh, a, uh, but a he taught me how to listen. <laughs> I know, right? So he taught me how to do launch control in the 911, and we've we've been on multiple tracks, and I I just adore him, and he's just a lovely, lovely gentleman. But it's a really good story about his career, um, about him coming out for the first time. Uh, he's you know we get to meet his husband, and it's it's just a really it's a lovely story um, about how you know racing has and has not uh evolved and diversified but the um but the whole storyline is is really cool and and he's just a gentleman and so i would encourage anybody who has the chance to watch it who likes racing uh you get some some great insights into the 70s uh 70s and 80s racing and culture and such so um you know i think i definitely related to it because i know him and and i and he's just always lovely and um he's just it's just a really cool movie i thought uh to watch it on you you know, so if you get a chance to see it, I would encourage people to do that. Yep, I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, and I'm also looking forward to uh, seeing you again later this week at uh, the Fiat Chrysler Proving Grounds for their annual yes. What's New event, uh, where we'll yes. be recording another live, uh, probably hopefully in a vehicle uh, podcast later this week. Yes, exactly. So that will be fun. On That's on uh, Thursday. All right. And with that, let's... Uh, I think we've been chattering on long enough for today. Uh, <laughs> let's call this one a show and uh, thank everybody for listening. And, you know, please, uh, you know, if you like what you hear, share it with your friends, uh, you know, post it online, you know, let people know we exist and, and let's uh, help grow the audience. And until next time, bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.